0: and go down to verse 17 no John chapter 21 and this will be on the screen if you want to follow along there and this is after the resurrection of Jesus so we've been in this series called deep talks of Jesus since January and so we've been listening in to the deep talks Jesus has been having with his followers up until his arrest and then he gets arrested he goes to the cross, he's crucified he rises again Okay. And then he appears, a couple weeks ago we talked about Jesus appearing to, oh, thank you, my voice must sound hoarse, Um, I'll take a drink, thank you, Uh, Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene, okay, and now he's going to appear to some of his closest followers, and this is, and what he's saying is so important. So, John chapter 21, he says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple who Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, but about a hundred yards off. and took the bread, and gave it to them, and so with the fish. So you've you got to remember, too, this is the first time that these disciples are seeing Jesus after the resurrection. They'd heard reports from Mary Magdalene where she comes back and she says, I saw Jesus. He's alive. He's risen. Right, And so then you've got Peter and six other disciples. They're off fishing, and they've heard this report, but they're not sure whether they believe it. And then all of a sudden you've got Jesus, so he, he shows up, on shore, right? And, and the guys are all in the boat working. Peter probably, by the way, was naked. That's why it, the scriptures say that he put on his outer garment because he saw Jesus and he didn't want to go and present himself to Jesus while he was naked. But in those days, fishermen often worked through the night. So they had a fresh catch of fish for the morning. And, and people didn't have multiple changes of clothes like we do today. And fishing was really hard on your, your clothing. And so fishermen that worked at night, often the night was their clothing. Okay, that's how they stayed concealed. Okay, but Peter comes in the morning, and, and Jesus is on the shore, and he's still that way, so he puts on his garment, and he dives in. But, and, then, and then there's this discussion that's happening amongst the disciples where they go, we think this is Jesus, but they're afraid to say so because they didn't want to reveal the fact that they were doubting, but they also had this sense like this, this is our Lord, this is our master. And so there's this hush amongst the, the crowd. Verse 14 goes on, he says, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, John, when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? That's so why he'd ask the question too, and we'll get we'll back to this. But what do you think Jesus is referring to when he asks the question, do you love me more than these? It's a, it's a question worth asking. What's Jesus saying? So the, Jesus is going to ask Peter the same question three times. But the first time he asks it, he says to Peter, he says, Simon, do you love me more than these? What what is the these that Jesus is referring to? It's ambiguous, but it's an important question. So, Simon, do do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. We'll stop there. So, I'm going to put this on the, on the slide. This is the main point that I want to communicate today. It's up there. The reason Jesus' followers serve others is because we love Jesus. That's it. Very, very key to what Jesus is teaching Peter in this passage. The reason we do the things we do, the reason that we exist as the church that lives sent, like we talked about last week, we talked about missionary God, we talked about the word missionary means sent, and it's not just for people that go overseas somewhere, that's included, but as Jesus' followers, we live sent. We live on mission. The reason why, it's not because of, we're motivated by guilt or fear or a sense of duty. It, Jesus gets at the heart of it here. At the, at the very uh, outset of when he's sending his followers, he wants them to know. The, the reason you go and do this isn't guilt or fear or any of these other reasons. It's, it's love. Do you love me? So the reason Jesus' followers serve other people is because we love Jesus not because we're looking for something from the people we serve, not because we're looking for affirmation from other people, not because we're looking to be noticed, not because we have this weird sense of duty. It all comes back to, it's because we love Jesus. Jesus wanted Peter, before he sent him out, Jesus wanted Peter to have the right motivation, which was a love for Jesus. So Jesus has a three-step. In this passage, there's a three-step process in sending. The first is restoration, and then it's motivation, Jesus gets, and that's what we're hitting at, is the motivation. And then commissioning. So, so restoration, and, and, and this is where this becomes really applicable to anybody who breathes oxygen. Do you, do you breathe oxygen? Okay, That's the same as saying, have you made a mistake or messed up? Okay, We're all on the same page when it comes to whether or not we've made mistakes. If you breathe oxygen you've made mistakes, you've messed up, you've done things that you're ashamed of. And in this passage of Scripture, Jesus faces this with Peter head on. Okay, so the first step, when Jesus is sending people on mission, when he's sending Peter out, the first step is restoration. So Jesus, he's on the shore. So you've got Peter and his friends, they've gone off fishing, and people have speculated about why Peter might have went fishing. Some people think that he'd given up on this whole following Jesus thing that he'd been doing for the last few years and he didn't have any hope that Jesus was going to rise from the dead, so he just went back to his old profession, his old way of life, fishing. Okay, that's, that's possible. Um, it might have just been because they didn't know what else to do in that moment, so they're back fishing. Whatever it is, Peter's out fishing and this is, this is after Peter has made the biggest mistake of his life. So, Peter is the one, of all the disciples, Peter is the one who was the most outspoken about how much he loved Jesus and how much devotion he had for Jesus. He's the one, if you remember, when when the soldiers show up to to arrest uh, Jesus, Peter pulls out his sword and he cuts off the guy's ear. Peter's always the first one to say to Jesus, I I would die before I uh, let you be taken away. And then Peter's the one who denies Jesus. And not only does he deny him, he's in the courtyard and he's, he's asked the question, I thought you were one of those ones that was with Jesus. And he, he curses and swears and he denies even knowing Jesus. It's a pretty shameful thing that Peter does. And he, he's the one that, at that time, he's the leader of the church. He's the one that's the most outspoken. He leads the pack. He's, he's the one that uh, the others look to to, uh, to say what's on their minds. Peter's kind of the lead guy. And he's the one that has the, the most miserable failure. Okay, so he's, he's off fishing, and you've got to picture this scene. They, they see the Lord on, on, the, on the shore, and they see this fire going, okay? And, and, and they say, oh, it must be the Lord. So Peter puts on his garment, he dives into the water, he swims up to the shore. And what, what happens when Peter gets out of the boat and he walks up to the shore? The text here uses the word that Jesus is standing around a charcoal fire. You know, the only other time in the New Testament that that word charcoal is used is back in chapter 18, the same book of, of the Gospel of John. And, it's, and Peter, when he denies Jesus, he's standing around a charcoal fire. It's the only time in the entire New Testament that that word is ever used. So Jesus is being intentional. You, you ever have that, that moment where your memory will kick in based on something that you smell? So I used to actually be a fisherman, I went lobster fishing for a couple of years. And the guys I fished with, like, they smoked all the time. I remember one of my, one of my friends, like, sometimes, I don't know why he'd do this, he would literally light, like, two cigarettes at the same time. Like, I remember looking over at him, and I'm like, like that's like a waste of money, to, like, you got two cigarettes at the same time. And so, when some, there's sometimes, even to this day, where I'll be walking somewhere, and somebody will light up a cigarette, and that first smell, it, like, it transports me back to the boat. Like, I feel like I'm on the fishing boat again, okay? You guys have memories like that? Okay, there's, there's times I love listening to podcasts uh, or, or audio books. When I was working at the university I studied at, I did lawn care for a summer. And I remember one of the books I listened to was C.S. Lewis' autobiography. It's called Surprised by Joy. Really great book. And, and it's funny because I, I remember exactly where I was at one point of the story of C.S. Lewis. And it was behind, there was a certain building. And I was in behind, and it was kind of a tough place to mow on this great big Husqvarna mower. And it was like hard to get in around and move. And I'm listening to C.S. Lewis, and and I'm hearing his life story. And it was like a few weeks later, a few months later, I was back in that same spot. And the memory of what I was listening to in that moment just came flooding back into my mind. Like I just knew in that, I, I knew exactly what I was listening to the last time that I was in that space. So what Jesus, the reason I'm telling you that, Jesus is being intentional here. Peter comes up, he comes comes out of the water, he walks up, and he smells this charcoal fire. Last time that he smelled a charcoal fire, he was denying the very person that was standing in front of him resurrected. Jesus is being intentional with Peter. In order for Peter to be sent, he had to face his biggest failure. You know what's incredible about this interaction between Jesus and Peter is that the way Jesus deals with our sin, with our failures, with our mistakes, is he actually, if you're his follower, if you're his son or daughter, he will make you face that head on. Can you imagine the feeling that Peter would have had? He comes up out of the water and and, and the the smell of the charcoal fire comes flooding into his his nostrils and, and he's immediately brought back to the moment that he denied Jesus, and here's Jesus standing in front of him. Can you imagine the look on Peter's face and then what he would have seen looking into the eyes of Jesus? And Jesus does this intentionally. Can you imagine the, the shame that would have been brought up? I mean, Peter's the one that was the most vocal about Jesus. I would never betray you. I would never do what these other people probably will. I would never be that guy. And then he does. And then when Jesus appears to Peter after his resurrection. He brings him right back to that moment. If, if you and I are going to live sent, if you and I are going to live on mission, we have to face our biggest failures. We have to face the thing that brought us most, shame. We have to face that thing in our life that makes us think we're disqualified from serving Jesus. You know what I, you know what I see in this story? Is that you know, Jesus does not... To Peter, oh no, it's okay, it's fine. Everybody makes mistakes. Like Jesus is so different than the world. You've got on one side, you've got the world that would, when our past comes up, the world says, no, no, it's it's fine. Like we're all a mess. We're all we're all uh, we've all made mistakes. We're you know you're bound to screw up. So it's just get over it, forget it, move past it, move on. The world just kind of glosses over things, right? And then you've got the religious thinking on the other side of it. That's like you're horrible you're nothing but a worm, you're, you don't deserve God, it's only by His grace, and for the rest of your life you have to live in fear, and, 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 and you're just this horrible person. And then you've got Jesus in the middle that actually causes Peter, it's like he takes his, his jaw and he faces head on the biggest failure of his life, and he does it intentionally because Jesus' desire in this is to restore Peter. Peter. And the question I have for you, before we move on to motivation, is what is that area of your life that you carry shame over? What is that mistake or what is that failure? And face Jesus in it, because the way Jesus deals with that is so different than the way the world does. Yes, we face it. For, for most of us, We can't go on and do the thing God has called us to do until we face that area of failure and experience the restoration of Jesus. We can't gloss over it. We can't pretend it didn't happen. It's something that must be faced. And when Jesus faces those things with us, he does so redemptively with love and grace and mercy and compassion. But he faces it head on. I imagine there was a part of Peter that's like, why do you have to bring that up? Like, comes out of the water and there's this smell of charcoal and he's like wow way to guilt way to guilt me right he must have felt that guilt and shame but in restoration jesus moves from that he doesn't let peter stay in the place of guilt or shame he moves him to love so the second so there's there's restoration but motivation the mission okay so the mission that jesus is going to give to peter is important but the why of the mission is even more important So the mission, the thing God is calling you and I to, yes, it's important, but the reason why you do it, the why of that mission is more important. If you get the why straight, you will serve the Lord faithfully for all of your days if the the motivation is right. Verse 15, let's be on the screen. The first time Jesus asked the question, he says to Peter, he says, uh, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter... Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. What is Jesus referring to? He's, it's ambiguous. He says to Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these? What, I mean, Peter just hauled in 153 fish, biggest catch of his life, okay? So here's the three options, and, and you can decide which one you think fits the best, but, and this won't be on the screen, but I think there's three options for what Jesus was likely referring to. Because he's asking Peter this question. He wants to get his motivation right. He's about to send him on mission. Okay? He's working through this restoration process. He says, do you love me more than these? So, so what is the these Jesus is asking about? The three options are, Jesus could be referring to the fish. Okay? Peter just caught the biggest catch of his life. As a fisherman in those days, if you bring in 153 fish, that's a massive catch. They had a hard time hauling it ashore because the net was breaking, okay? Big, big catch of fish. It's possible Jesus was saying, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than your profession? Do you love me more than your career? Do you love me more than earthly possessions? That's possible. That's what Jesus was asking. Do you love me more than these? You know, here's the biggest catch of your life. Like, do you want to go and continue seeking that or do you... Do you love me more than, than that? It's possible Jesus was asking that question. Secondly, he could have been asking Peter, do you love me more than these? Because like, Peter's friends are all on shore. Do you love me more than you love all your friendships, your worldly affiliations? We know from the scriptures that Peter was married. Jesus could be asking, like, do you love me more than these? All of the friendships, all the people that you love in this world, do you love me more than you love these? Okay, he, he could be asking that. The third option, and this is where I, I would lean, what I think Jesus is asking him, He says, do you love, Jesus asked him, do you love me more than these disciples love me? And and here's the reason I think that that Jesus may have been asking Peter, like, do you love me more than they love me? Because Peter, all the way through, there's this competition. Peter wants to be the top dog. Okay, we've joked about it in the past few weeks where there seems to be, even at the end of the Gospel of John, there's this rivalry between Peter and John. Right? We, we joked about it a couple weeks ago, so when, when they're running to the empty tomb to go see if Jesus is there, the scriptures tell us that John outran Peter, okay? And, and you almost get this sense of like, he, he wants to show that he's better than Peter, and, and there's this rivalry between, in, in Luke's gospel, uh, there's actually, right before one of the most important conversations Jesus has with his followers, Luke's gospel tells us that the disciples are having a discussion as to which one of them is the greatest, like, if you want to look for, like, the model people of Jesus' followers, disciples are not always the greatest example. Like, sometimes they're off to do this really important ministry and great things are about to happen. And, and Jesus, I, I imagine Jesus sometimes, like, walking ahead and he's, like, focused on what God's, you know, got him to do. And then he, he, like, hangs back. And the conversation that's happening amongst the disciples at the back is, like, which one of them is the best or the greatest? And you just got to imagine Jesus like, guys, are you, like, what are you, five? Right? Like, that's the conversation that you're, you're having with each other. Which one of you is the greatest? you think that's what's most important? Like, trying to figure out who's the greatest, who's the best, right? And Peter seems to lead that conversation. I'm going to put this up on the screen. There's four, all four Gospels record this, and, and uh, Matthew and Mark are, are even more poignant in showing Peter's idea of himself, okay? So, all four Gospels record Peter saying to Jesus, I would die before I let you get taken away. But listen to the first two in particular. So in, in Matthew, Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. So Jesus, is, he had told his followers, "You're all, I'm going to be taken, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to the cross, you're all going to fall away, you're all going to deny me. Peter says, he, he looks at, like, the rest of the followers that are there, and he goes, oh, no, no, Jesus, though all of those guys fall away, I won't. Pretty bold statement Peter makes, right? Though all of them fall away, I won't. And then in Mark, he says, even though they fall away, I will not. So Matthew and Mark both record Peter saying, like, even though these guys fall away, I won't, I love you more. That's what I hear in there. Peter's saying to Jesus, like, I am more devoted, I am more committed, my love for you is greater. In, in Luke, Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And then in John, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. So the third, op- when Jesus says to Peter, do you love me more than these? I believe what he's getting at there is, Peter, do you love me more than they love me? And again, he's bringing Peter back to these These statements that he had made were like Peter was like, No, no, even if everybody else falls away, I won't. I am so committed. I am so devoted. I am all in. And then Peter goes on to deny him. We talked about this at the beginning of this series about how Peter's sin was actually very public. The difference between Peter and Judas is that everything Judas did was under the surface, it was secret. And it wasn't exposed until it was too late, and Judas ended up taking his own life. The difference with Peter is that Peter, whatever he did was very open. It was very, in, it was public. And there was actually a blessing to that. For, for those of you that have been exposed for stupidity, or you've been exposed for things like, I think of things in my life where I've made mistakes and it's been public and I've had to go back and apologize and I've had to work through that and it's difficult and it's challenging. You know the blessing with that is that God can work with that. When, when sin, when, when mess-ups, when mistakes are in, like, out in the open, when, when they're surface, you can face that. You can deal with that. You know what's really dangerous? Is when it's beneath the surface and you have this idea that it's hidden. Because God sees everything. So, so if you've been in the camp of being embarrassed because of your mistakes or your failures, thank God that things are being, that they're brought into the open. Because you can, like, look at how Jesus deals with Peter. It's not shame. He doesn't, like, kick him when he's down. He makes him face it. But then he gives them the most important job the world has ever seen. Go feed my sheep. So if, if your sin, if your mistakes, if your failures, if they're public, like go to the Lord. Like deal with that with him. Don't gloss over it. But don't let that convince you that you're somehow disqualified or excluded. It's a blessing. And so Jesus, it's like he's asking Peter, do you, do you love me more than, than these and, and here's what I want to point out to you, too. I give you three options for what Jesus might be referring to. You know, is it, do you love me more than your profession? Do you love me more than you love your friends? Do you, do you love me more than your friends love me? And, you know, the text doesn't actually make it clear, and it doesn't really matter which one of those Jesus is referring to, because all of those apply. I think what Jesus is really getting at, and, and here's where it gets to the motivation. Jesus is saying, like, do you love me, Peter? more than anyone or anything? Like, is your love for me what drives you, what motivates you? Or are you driven and motivated by some other desire that's not going to last very long? Really, to be a follower of Jesus is to be all in. It means to love him more than family. It means to love him more than career and vocation. It means to be all... But it, it also means not to have this arrogant attitude and i think that's what jesus was also dealing with in peter of like don't compare your love for me with someone else's love for me just love me that's how we'll finish john that way by the way because jesus actually deals with that in the last part of it with him and john but i want to ask you that question about your love for jesus and this this will be on the slide again the reason christians or jesus followers serve others is because we love jesus and so the third one is, is commissioning. So there's restoration. And oh, I said, yeah. There's restoration, motivation, and then commissioning. And the commissioning, so Jesus has done the work of bringing restoration to Peter. And then he deals with his motivation. And then he sends him out. What Jesus is saying to Peter in this passage of Scripture, so if you love me, Peter, go feed my sheep. He gives him his job description. You know, one of the things uh, that we look for, there's five people that are employed by Transformation Church. So if you were at the board meeting last week, uh, you got to hear about that. There's I'm full-time here, and uh, we have five people that are, they serve one day a week, They're, they serve in part-time roles, and we give each person a job description. And I just want to put up on the screen one of the things that we look for that's in our job description. It's based on uh, passages of Scripture like this one here. So we look for an, an imperative for someone who works at TC is love Jesus and his church. Humble attitude and approach to ministry, teachable spirit, an exemplary life of prayer. But one of the imperatives that, that we look for if we want someone to, to work in a ministry position at TC is do, do you love Jesus? That has to be the motivation behind why we do what we do. And and we are looking at this passage of scripture as the gathered people of Jesus. And and I try to emphasize this on a regular basis that if you are not employed at the church or at a church, people that are employed by church it, it's not a more spiritual position. Because God has given each one of us a calling. He's given each one of us a place where we serve in that context. And so for you, it could be your family, it could be your workplace, it could be wherever it is that God has you. And, and it's not more important if you're employed by a church or if you're on the mission field somewhere, unless God has called you to do that and you've refused, that's not good, okay? Um, but the, the church of Jesus is made up of a diversity of people that serve in different contexts and serve in different workplaces and families. And where God has you is vitally important. And the mission that Jesus is giving to Peter is actually the mission of the church. And you know what Jesus wants you and I to hear this morning? He wants us to hear that same question that he was asking to Peter. Do you love me? Do you do the things that you do because you love me? Here's how I want to close this today. I have thought about these words that Jesus says to Peter, in the context of what I do, and so the context of what I do, I'm a pastor, um, and there are times, and I, and I was hesitant as to whether to share this, because I'm not looking for sympathy, okay? I feel like sometimes you, you, like, you, you share certain stories, and it's almost like you're looking for sympathy. I am not in any way looking for sympathy when I say this. But there are times when I will pour my heart out to help somebody or to do something, and I just feel like it just, it's not appreciated in any way, or it's not noticed, Right? So I'll do my best of whatever it is that I feel God calling me to do, and I just feel like, oh, it's not, it's not reciprocated. Do you know what comes back to me in those moments? Is this conversation that Jesus has with Peter where it's like, Nathan, are you doing what you do because you love me? Or are you looking for people to pat you on the back? Like, Do you want someone to notice what you're doing? Or do you do it because you love me? You know, if, if we take Jesus' words seriously then we do the things we do because we love Jesus. Not because we're looking for approval or, or notice or a pat on the back or any other thing. We do it because we love Jesus. Now now think about it in terms of, of a marriage. You know, if I, I, uh, when Vicky and I do premarital counseling, we often tell couples that, you, like, and I, and I challenge people this all the time, love Jesus more than you love your spouse, so in marriage, there are times where you've got to work things out with your spouse, and you just don't want to. Okay? You're mad. You, you're, you wish they could see how wrong they were. Okay? You wish that they could see how much you try and how much effort you put forward and how much they're not. we right? like, feel like that in a marriage. Okay? So in those moments where I'm just like, upset, I don't want to work things out. And she's, Vicky's here in the room right now, so I can, like, I can only say so much. <laughs> but in the moments, okay, so there's times in our marriage where I, like, I would rather be proven right, and I don't want to work things out. Do you know what motivates me to continue to work on our marriage? Is I get this reminder where it's like Jesus saying, it's your love for me, Nathan, that makes you do the right thing. Not just because you want to have... The best marriage, or it's a sense of duty or responsibility. Like I I just like I hear Jesus' words on a regular basis, like, do you love me, Nathan? Then do it for that. So if you're having a hard time in your marriage and like doing the right thing, sometimes we we let our motivation be a sense of guilt or duty or fear or responsibility or whatever it is, right? And what Jesus is getting at here in this passage, he's saying the motivation, the reason why you and I do the things that we do, it has to come back to a love for Jesus. If, if that becomes your motivation, you will do, you, you will serve the Lord faithfully until you take your last breath. If your motivation is that, even if your motivation is you want to see results, you may give up. One of my best friends, before I moved to Thunder Bay in 2017 to, to, to be a part of Planting Transformation Church, I remember one of my best friends saying to me, he's like, you know, you may move there and you may just fail miserably. Like, maybe it won't come together, maybe the finances won't come, maybe nobody will come out, uh, maybe the church won't ever be established, won't ever be planted. He's like, that's a possibility. He's like, but you, you can't be doing it because you want to see the success. Like, I mean, that, obviously you want to see success, obviously you want things to work out, but if that's your underlying motivation, you'll give up on the tough days. But if your motivation is you're doing it because you love Jesus, then even if things fall apart, you could take back, you, you go back and you go, okay, well, Lord, I, I didn't do it just for the success, I did it because I love you. Imagine if that was your motivation for, ever, like, as a follower of Jesus, if the reason why you want to have a, a blessed marriage and the reason why you go make things right isn't because you think your spouse is going to reciprocate it, it's because you love Jesus. It actually lets people off the hook. So when you start to do the right thing for the right reason, then you don't, you don't need the reaction from people all the time because you're like, you're not doing it for that. You're doing it because you love Jesus. Even to go back to the story I shared at the beginning about that really guilt-ridden movie I watched in youth group, right? Like sometimes the reason we think we need to go and do the things for God is because we've got this sense of guilt. Well, what if, you know, there's heaven and hell is a reality and people aren't going to make it to heaven and it's all on me, it's my pressure. If, you, if that's your reasoning, you get discouraged, you get weighed down, it's heavy, it's overwhelming. But if your reason is like, no, no, I'm going to go do the things I do just because I love Jesus, you'll do that till the day you die. And that's not to say that you won't face discouragement and you won't have days where you feel overwhelmed. But you'll come back to this like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not doing it because of success. I'm not doing it because of a certain result. I'm doing it because I love Jesus. And, and Jesus, okay, this conversation he's having with Peter, he, he realizes he is giving Peter the most important job that, that exists in the world. And all of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, we fall into this job description of like, going and being the church, caring for other people, loving them. The thing that Jesus is asking Peter to do, that's the job of the church, is to feed the sheep. We're all a part of that. And Jesus wanted Peter to have his motivation worked out before he was sent. And for those of us here today, our motivation has got to be in the right place, that it's a love for Jesus. I'm going to invite the team to come up, and we're going to close with a couple songs and I just want you to, as we sing these last couple of songs, maybe we can just, if you're able, let's just stand together and I'll pray for us. Um, but I just want to encourage you, as we sing these songs, to hear the question Jesus asks, Peter, do you love me? And And for you and I particularly, specifically, that first time Jesus asked the question, he says, do you love me? More than these. So what's the, what's the these for you? Is it a career? Is it, is it relationships? Is it other people? Is he asking you, like, do you love me more than you think other people love me? Is he dealing with maybe a bit of a, a pride and arrogance in you? But as we sing these last couple songs, just hear that question from Jesus. Do you love me? And answer it. Have a conversation with him, and may may our motivation be the correct motivation. May we do what we do just because we love Jesus. May that be what drives us. May that be the driving passion of our lives, that we we serve others. We feed the sheep, like Jesus is saying Peter to do, because we love Jesus. Not because we're looking for a certain result or outcome, but simply because we love Jesus. May that be the driving passion of our lives. and then we'll sing these songs lord thank you for your word lord your your word is convicting we we see this conversation that you had with peter you you forced him to face his failure and you you brought restoration you restored him in that lord you you spoke to him about his motivation his motivation had to be right He, he had to go and do the things he was doing not to prove that he was better or that he was more in love with you than others. It had to be because he just loved you, a simple relationship of love. And then you sent him. You said, go and feed my sheep. And Lord, for us today, I just pray that we would hear that same question, do you love me? Lord, and that for those of us that our, our motivation has been off in some way, would you challenge us in that way? And Lord, you've called us to be your church here in this City of Thunder Bay partnered with other Jesus followers of other churches in the city that um, that are called to the same mission, and you've called us to be a part of that. And Lord, we want our motivation to be right. We want to do the things we do because we love you. And so, would you speak to our hearts today? Would you bring us into proper alignment with you, God? We love you. In Jesus name. Amen.